1: Imagine you don't care about what the stock market does or whether interest rates go up or down. Imagine that rising inflation, deflation, and world crisis were less a threat to your wealth and future plans. Imagine you found a way to recover some of the hard-earned money you've been giving away to banks and financial services companies. Such strategies do exist, and I can show you exactly how to do all of that. My name is Teresa Kuhn, host of Living Wealthy Radio. I work with people all over the country and educate them on how money really works, and the results have been phenomenal. I reveal secrets the banking sector praise you'll never learn and help you discover there are still ways to keep your nest egg safe and secure. Learn facts from fiction and how to create a real plan you can use now to ensure your retirement prosperity later. Visit findoutmorenow.com, passcode TK93 for your free report. Findoutmorenow.com, passcode TK93. Joining us today is Neil Bawa, CEO and founder of the real estate investment company Grow Capitalists. He is an entrepreneur, technologist, and speaker, and he's been dubbed the mad scientist of multifamily. He is here to share with us his insights in targeting multifamily real estate as a highly profitable investment tool. So, welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Neil.
0: Thanks for having me on the show, uh, Teresa. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Well, we are excited to have you. And your background is fascinating, right? You're in real estate and you're a technologist. And so share with us why you are so competent to speak about real estate investing, specifically multifamily real estate.
0: Sure. Uh, I think it, it's it's definitely a, a unique background, right? You've had people on this show before that have done a have flipped a hundred homes and have you know done a thousand loans, and I haven't done any of those things. I'm a technologist that uh, you know I'm, I'm basically a, a nerd that fell into uh, real estate uh, in reverse, right? So most people start with a single-family rental, while well, I started with a five million dollar campus in 2003. I was running a company, a very profitable technology education company. I was chief operations officer. We had lots of employees, fast-growing company. We decided we're not going to rent. We are going to build our own campus. And my boss basically assigned me the job, and he mentored me through the whole process, but uh, 10 months of extremely hard work to basically build a campus from scratch. And then you know nothing about real estate. When you don't even have a single-family rental to be handed, a six, $7 million project is extremely daunting. I think, Teresa, I got maybe, you know, in those nine months, I probably got nine hours of total sleep. Oh it was a, it was a crazy enterprise, but somehow we made it work. You know, I made probably a thousand mistakes, but uh, because our company was doing well and this, this facility was so critical to our plans that it all got covered up. And two years, we had run out of space, and this time we had to build a larger campus, which was more expensive and and more complicated, and uh, I got a chance again to build a campus from scratch. So I, I basically got my chops in the real estate construction world without ever being in real estate. I'm running a tech company, right? But this was part of the job, and so I I got very excited to do it, and there was lots to learn, everything from, you know, egress to air conditioning systems and, you know, cooling systems and fire codes and all sorts of stuff. That initially I was like, how is this part of my job? And by the time I'd done it twice, I was like, wow, this is really amazing. This is great knowledge, and how can I use this knowledge in different ways? I should have really at that point gone into, you know, uh, multifamily construction or something like that, but I chickened out I stayed with the company because uh, the company was growing, and I decided to do single family rentals so i um, in two thousand and eight um you know given I'm a nerd i'm a data scientist i I did analytics on which city in the United states had states had dropped the most from two thousand five highs to to end of two thousand and eight lows and it turned out to be the city of Madeira, California, so I went there and I bought ten single family homes all of which I still own 11 years later, and they've been fabulous for me in terms of uh, rental properties. Then I went to Chicago uh, and bought 10 triplexes trying to scale, and it was the right idea with the horribly, horribly wrong um, you know, implementation because what I've done, Teresa, unfortunately, is I've invested in one of the worst sub-markets in America, mm. South Shore Chicago. And this is a horrible submarket. The rents made sense, but nobody would pay for a year uh, on, on an ongoing basis. You know, after three or four months, I'd have the, the familiar cycle of delinquency and eviction and then maintenance and cleanup and then vacancy and then releasing out to other tenants. And so I learned a very, very expensive lesson that the magic in real estate is in the demographics of real estate. We all go and look at a single family property and we look at the roof and we look at the foundation and we have the property inspector come out and look at it. All of that is important. But what is really controlling your destiny is the demographics of that city and the demographics of that neighborhood. And what are these demographics? That's a big word. What does that mean? And what I learned was that demographics is five things. And I became an expert in those things and started speaking in webinars and radio shows and podcasts throughout the U.S. And so, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that. So that's really kind of how my journey started and then eventually developed into large multifamily properties. Now my company controls about $200 billion in real estate, multifamily student housing, hospitality, and we're actually now starting on senior housing as well. So about 1,800 investors that are currently registered with us Investing into real estate, into large real estate, through us.
1: And you said two hundred million with an M, right?
0: Yep. So, so current assets are about two hundred million. The average building that we buy or build is somewhere between twenty and thirty million dollars. And the way that we do it is, it's not my money. I I don't have enough money to buy, you know, two hundred million dollars in real estate. Is that the aggregate money from investors? So each investor might put in 50 or 100 grand each, and there's 50 investors. So now we've got 3 or $4 million of their money, and we buy a $12 million building with it. And obviously, we get a loan on it. Um, and then we improve those buildings. So Or we might go out and do a new construction project. Those typically are more expensive. So it might be a $30 million project with $6 million, $7 million of investor money, and the rest being a construction loan from the bank. Either way, the goal is to try and double investor money in five years. That works sometimes; doesn't work other times. Uh, but that's that's essentially the process that we we've been following. But the but the foundation of everything that we do at our company, everything, is real estate demographics. And I love talking about that. So hopefully, we get a chance to do that in this show.
1: Absolutely, and so. What's very interesting is your background is technology. You are a data scientist, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So you have taken your data science background and applied it in real estate investing to, I guess, for your company, have a, a product, so to speak, an investment strategy for investors to come in and invest based on what you've found from a data analytics perspective, what's going to give the highest probability that that investment is going to grow.
0: And be safe. So I I think that I tell people is, my number one job is not to make you money. My number one job is to protect your principal, right? Making money is important. But my primary goal is You know, and and Warren Buffett says this, well, rule number one of making money, don't lose money, right? And the goal of using the analytics is to go into markets where supply and demand is completely out of whack, right? You have overwhelming demand and just not enough supply because there's not enough land or because the city doesn't like new construction or because there's a lot of NIMBYism going on there. Whatever those reasons are, right, we look at all of those. For example, one of the reasons I invest in Utah is Mormons don't believe in contraception, which means that their birth rate is very high. Well, I love investing in states with very, very high birth rates because states with young uh, populations, especially educated populations like like Utah, that have very high birth rates are eventually going to drive rents through the roof. And that's exactly what's happened with the Utah properties Mm. that I've already completed. Uh, working on so these not a lot of people think about. Hmm, I should be investing in Utah because there's a lot of Mormons and 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 they don't believe in contraception. But all of these are factors. These mm-hmm. are things that data scientists think about because in the end we are answering the the big question, which is how do I get a lot of rent growth for a lot of years? Right? Recession's come and go. Yeah, obviously, you know, our rent growth will be affected when there's a recession. But at the end of that recession, I wanted to go back to being in the top 10% in the country. And so I'm looking at every factor that affects that. I'm looking at every number that affects that and and trying to say, hmm, there's 3,000 places in the U.S. that I can invest. What's the top 1% in that list? And how can I even within that top percent of 1% of cities, every city has 50 to 100 neighborhoods how can i find the top 1% of the neighborhoods in those top 1% cities to give myself the maximum tailwind for success
1: and and that's fascinating right from from a ph- philosophical investing perspective we are absolutely aligned and just for clarification mm-hmm. a couple of things that you said number 1 nimby means not in my backyard right and so yep. there are yep. there are um developments that are cut off because you know the the neighborhoods don't want that kind of development in their backyard and focusing on not losing the capital not losing the principal versus chasing returns 99% of the people because of from an emotional perspective money and emotions are wired together right very very difficult okay. to be objective and as a data scientist um, you're probably wired to be less influenced by the emotions when it comes to investing that most people suffer from. They're chasing that return. They get swept up in the numbers and the possibilities instead of protecting their principle when they're thinking of investing.
0: Exactly. I, and I, I, I really think that you always every real estate investor must first think about preservation of capital. Because for every real estate investor that, you know, kind of, you know, gets rich because he hit a home run, there's 10 guys that lost money because they went into horrible markets, like I did, South Chicago, um, or they went into basically didn't, didn't study or analyze what is happening in a particular area, right? A demographic trends, like let me let, let me name a number demographic trends that's very important. America is turning into two countries. You have basically cold states that are losing populations to the Sun Belt. With the exception of Minnesota, all of the cold states are either losing population or not gaining any. Not gaining any is by itself a death knell for real estate because real estate needs population Absolutely. growth. Absolutely. Yep. That population growth is what drives the rent growth. It creates the supply-demand imbalance. So when you have markets like Wyoming and Illinois and you have markets like, you know, Missouri, a lot of these places are losing population. And it's not like America's losing population. So the people must be going somewhere. So if you're able to track where the heck are all those people that, are, that used to live in Chicago in Cook County, where are they going? Do you know what is the best place to get that data? it's uhaul.com mm-hmm. every year uhaul publishes a beautiful report anyone can find it on the web just type in google you know state by state my google up uh, not google uh, uhaul state by state migration right and you get this beautiful article that tells you where are people moving to and where are they moving from and that shows me that america is splitting into two we have a country where States like West Virginia are becoming second-class citizens. Then we have states like Utah, Florida, and Texas that are growing at two and three and four times the rate of these other states. And why would you, as a real estate investor, not want to use those kinds of tailwinds? The example I love to give to people is, you know, you're sitting in a plane, right? And most planes in the U.S., they fly at 550 miles an hour, right? So you're going, you know to Teresa's house and you're going at 550 miles an hour. But what if there was a 200 mile headwind coming at you from the other direction? Well, now your plane isn't going 550, it's now going 350, right? Because of that headwind. Now, in a different scenario, the same place plane is going to Teresa's house, but now it has a 200 mile tailwind. Now that plane isn't going 550, it's going 750. So in the first scenario, the plane's now going at 350 in the second scenario it's going at 750 now you're making two and a half times the profit without doing anything more you're not doing more tenants no you're not doing more toilets but you're making two and a half times the money that is what analytics does that is why if you google what is the most lucrative and fastest growing job in america today you will immediately get a bunch of answers. You get a bunch of articles. All of them say it's the same thing. The fastest growing job in America is data scientist.
1: Yep.
0: Right? That is the fastest growing job in America. And, you know, I, I, I coined, you know, a phrase recently. I tell people data and analytics are the oil of the 21st century right we all wish that well we, i i wish i'd lived in texas 50 years ago cuz you know there's literally oil coming out of the damn ground right i couldn't help but be rich right if i was there and i knew about oil well you have oil only unlike texas 50 years ago where you had to go find oil and drill for oil sell oil and deal with all the the volatility you have oil it is in that computer your phone your ipad if all you did was spend 30 minutes every day religiously studying uh, the trends in whatever it is that you do, it's really, really hard not to be rich. It's the oil of the 21st century. Why wouldn't you spend the 30 minutes sitting at home and studying trends? That's the message that I always want to get people out there. A lot of people say, that, you know the system is basically rigged against us. It's hard to, be, to become rich compared to 30 or 40 years ago. There's all these mega organizations. I say that's not true. You know, but, but to me, the fact that you have data at your fingertips today—that people paid fifty or a hundred thousand dollars in sub- annual subscriptions in the '80s—and that data, better data, is now available for 39 bucks a month. Well. If you're not rich,
1: whose fault is that? Well, you're singing to the choir. Absolutely, there's mm-hmm. so every day. There's so many opportunities, and your background is fantastic. You've just chosen to take the the analysis right and and in the data because there's a lot of information out there. We are living in the information age, and it's not for a lack of information that people are not successful or can't be successful. It's taking action on that information. And that's where the data science comes in. Because if you've got a bunch of data, that doesn't mean you can do anything with it. It's Mm -hmm. organizing and analyzing that data so that it can serve you. And you've just done that with real estate.
0: Going to. So that happens to me in a vertical. But let's say tomorrow I was joining a different vertical. I wouldn't change the base philosophy, right? You know, figure out what is working, what's driving the trends, and go get access to that data. And a lot of people say, Neil, what you do is is, is you can only do it because you're a data scientist, because you have this, and you have access to some secret data that nobody else has access to. And I tell people, nope, I'm using a free website, two free websites, Google and city-data.com. And I show, show people exactly the data that I use, and I tell them, look, it takes about to figure out if a if a city is great to invest or not takes about 15 minutes and to figure out if a neighborhood in that city is great or not takes another 15 minutes right and the the process is so ridiculously simple that I actually created a 90 minute course on how to do it and then after somebody's gone through that course they're going to do it just as well as me not 80% as well as me but 100% as well as me that's how simple it really is it's not complicated People simply sell themselves on, oh, I don't have the right access to the data. You do. It's free. I, we live in this amazing information age where, I, I, I kid you not, the data that city-data.com has would have cost $50,000 or some absurd number like that in an annual subscription, probably a printed book back in the 80s because the internet didn't exist.
1: Well, let me ask you this, now: If the information and in the data is available to you know, everybody and a percentage of people understand that data and know how to find it and know how to analyze it and know how to implement the information that is, uh, available, then you're competing. Let's say you all pick, you know, I'm going to make up a city in Texas because Texas, you know, from a UHA perspective, try, uh, Getting the rates from California to Texas in terms of renting a U-Haul versus Texas uh-huh. to California. And that's going oh to be God. a clue as to how many people are moving to California from Texas. They're basically paying you to take a U-Haul to California because they need that truck back for all the people that want to move to Texas, right? Right
0: so it's some absurd number I mean from Texas to California is like 50 bucks but to California to Texas is some 1200 dollars exactly or something like that, exactly right?
1: no they're it's basically giving you I,
2: but
0: giving you the U-haw
1: just drive it back please to California give my first
0: my truck back.
1: exactly
0: Exactly. But it is so, so stunning to look at those numbers and what they imply, but I still continue to see people investing locally simply because that's what that, they're comfortable exactly. with. And I, I understand
2: that, right? People invest I understand local. that
0: there's a emotional kind of reaction. And and there are good reasons for that. I mean, there in the past be, you know, people's turnkey investments in, you know, 2000 miles away have gone bad, so there's plenty of anecdotes telling people not to do it. But I think the world has changed where you have now since the JOBS Act was passed in 2013, you now have syndication companies, and these are you know, well-designed companies with 200 and $500 million portfolios that are sending people to do management. They're getting on the phone call with their property manager twice a week and three times a week. And what's amazing is before the JOBS Act, all of these investments were available to very rich people and now they're available to
1: everybody. everybody. Right, right. But let's let's give the example of Texas, right? Just a city and mm-hmm. uh, let's just say Austin, Texas, which is where I live. Sure. And yeah. the data is available, the information is out there, and Austin is mm-hmm. a very attractive place to to buy. Let's just pretend. Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, now I'm I'm competing me little investor, retail investors competing with the Neals of the world and the syndicates that are out there for a limited amount of real estate? How does one like myself compete with you guys?
0: Well, I think there's multiple answers to that question. Number one, I'm going to share a secret with you. I teach at about 20, 25 syndication conferences a year. I'm in fact teaching at three of them the next 30 days in in three different cities. I'm teaching in Denver and Boston and, and Nashville. And I'll give you a secret. You are assuming that a lot of these syndicates are actually doing the data analytics. The secret is they're not. A lot of them they they started they bought an apartment complex in, let's say, Oklahoma City, and then they got then they ended up being friends with the brokers there. So they keep buying apartment complexes in Oklahoma City because it's simple, because they have the connections, because they have the, the comfort level and the property manager and the contractors, even though maybe they shouldn't be buying in Oklahoma. Maybe they should be buying somewhere else that is much better and has much higher returns. What I find is in the syndication world, the percentage of syndicators that change states and cities every year, basically following uh, growth across the U.S., is is, uh, infinitesimally small. It's maybe 0.1% of our community. So number one, you don't have as much competition as you think you do. Number two, we're chasing 200 and 300-unit buildings you're probably chasing a duplex or a quadplex or a 10 unit. And in that smaller range, none of us, the big guys, we're not interested in that because we can't scale an eight or 10 unit, even though we all started. I started with single families and, and triplexes, and it was perfectly good then. It's just no good for us now. So I do think that you are protected in some sense from that. Now, having said that, Austin's one of those interesting markets. You know, Texans think that Austin is overvalued and expensive because the rest of Texas is cheaper than Austin. And I keep pointing out, though, that Austin only happens to be a Texan city, but it actually resembles a Californian city. And if for a moment you magically in your mind think that Texas, that Austin is a Californian city, well, it actually is the best deal in California. That is because... Austin's economy is now driven by technology and education. It's not driven by oil. And so you have to measure Austin in a completely different way. So if you look at it as the cheapest city in California, it's an awesome deal and will be an awesome deal for decades because it will take Austin probably three or four decades to catch up to California. But it will because it has a highly educated workforce and And it, it has it's, it's lucrative it's very business friendly it already has the tech base the minimum tech base needed for it to keep growing and so, in my mind, it will be a great buy for decades
1: So what's going to happen to california um, California's got <laughs> a lot of issues like you know right it's got from um, well an You know, I'm lumping California all in one basket as opposed to there are are areas in California that really have some major, major issues. But as a state, it's not Mm -hmm. business friendly, it's not tax friendly, it's not asset and creditor protection friendly like other states. And a lot of people are leaving. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't have gloom doom protections for, uh, you know, kind of gloom doom predictions for California, and I'll tell you why. At its core, everything that you said is true, but at its core, California has been a very enterprising and entrepreneurial state for the last six or seven decades. Silicon Valley is there. Hollywood is there. There are a lot of great entrepreneurs there. What I predict will happen is that at some point over the next three or four years, California will start losing population. Technically, it has been losing population for the last six years, but it was hidden by inward migration from China, India, and Mexico. Right, so when you take, obviously at this point, you know, immigration levels are down. They're down, you know, big time. And so there's a very significant chance that California will, you know, plateau out or, or start losing population. And when it does, it, that's going to throw the California budget out of whack. What I feel is that there will be some tough times for California. Its real estate is already being affected by the SALT deductions being taken away, the state and local taxes deductions that were taken away. And so there'll be tough times. But I believe that California will then take the necessary steps to reform. They will take the steps to become a bit more business friendly. They'll take the step, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Silicon Valley is already extraordinarily business friendly. That's only one part of the state. I think what will happen at that point is that the other parts of the state will take the necessary steps. And so I, I don't think that California is a gloom, doom story. I don't feel that way for the state of Illinois. I don't feel that way about, let's say, places like New Jersey that have crazy pension fund problems that nobody talks about. But I don't think that it's a gloom-doom story, story for California. I, I still see 30 years from now California being strong, but, but I think it's going to go through some troubling times. And I, I live there, by the way. I love California. I live in Silicon Valley. You know, I, I just think that we should be honest and rename California as Taxifornia. That would be a much better name. It would be honest.
1: As, as what?
0: Taxifornia.
1: Tax as in taxes, so Taxifornia. It. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, agreed, right? Um totally Be- yeah. I've got many many clients in California and it's stunning how much you all pay in taxes.
0: It's ridiculous. I mean, if you if you total up all the hidden taxes in California mm-hmm. that we don't think about, right? I want to open an LLC in Wyoming it's $25. I want to open an LLC in California it's $800. Why should California be 32 times more expensive than Wyoming? All of these are done on computers. There's no person sitting in California and clicking away and, 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 you know, affecting your LLC. I just think that the state, because of its outstanding success uh, over the last, you know, 50 or 60 years, has become so filled with bureaucracy that their, their solution to everything is let's just create a new tax.
1: Yes, pretty crazy. Well, if you don't have gloom and doom for California, great. And I'm I'm an optimist, right? I like to think the glass is half full. Um, New Jersey, right? You're optimistic about New Jersey,
0: New York. No, I'm not optimistic. I, I would say I'm not optimistic about New Jersey. I'm not optimistic about Illinois, but I'm more optimistic about California simply because of the, you know, because of the technology piece there. Got you know, it. Being- so large compared to everywhere else but, so th- but I do think that there are states that are really in trouble the Illinois for example I, I I've done the math on Illinois because I've owned properties in Chicago and the the pension fund problems that Illinois have um, in my opinion and you know I'm not an economist so I certainly could be wrong is the way I see it is that Cook County which is where Chicago is, They've got two or three options. they've got they can declare bankruptcy in two years. they can de- declare bankruptcy in four years or declare bankruptcy in six years. Those, I think, are the options. I mean, they, you can only push the can down the road so far. So I mean i I, I know that there's going to be a catastrophic decline in their real estate when they do reach the point where nobody buys their bonds. and it's it's got to be coming up. I mean, the vast majority of their general budget now is just repayment on debt how does that work teresa how can you run a 500 billion dollar economy if every buck that you make in taxes goes back to repaying your existing debt
2: well
1: it's it's basic math right it it, it can't yes. and something else is sustaining it um so yep, you're concerned yep. about illinois but i must have misunderstood you when you were talking about new jersey i thought you said you, you were not that you were optimistic in the future concerned. about New Jersey, but you're concerned, but I still optimistic, or? New
0: well, I'm, I'm pessimistic, but not as much as Illinois. I, I still okay. think that there's room for New Jersey to do what's right, right? So I think that they have choices that I think are too late for Illinois at this point of time. They, can, they have to make hard decisions. But bottom line is there's many such states in America that have to make hard choices. Um, You know, one of the things I tell people is that we've always, you know, thought that municipal bonds were very safe, right? Mm -hmm. We've had a couple bankruptcies, Orange County, Stockton, but really never a big bankruptcy, right? So municipal bonds are considered almost as safe as treasury bonds. I believe that we're going to see a slew of bankruptcies, you know, cities and states over the next 20 years because the debt levels have become extremely unsustainable. There appears to be no way for these people to pay their debt back. And so, you know, they, they, they can't do what the feds can do. You, they can't print money, right? So, um, so the, at, you know, because they are unable to print money like the feds can, at some point, they, they, you come to an abrupt halt. And we just saw that with Puerto Rico. I mean, it was incredibly you know, painful. I think Puerto Rico's in for a 10-year depression. I, I, I constantly come across people in the real estate industry that tell me that Puerto Rico is the greatest investment opportunity in America for real estate. And I tell these people, you are absolutely not data driven. Look at metrics and you will see that it is dead last in the US mm. for a risk reward ratio. Mm. Its economy is so massively damaged by what, what happened that I think that it will be a great investment opportunity 10 years from today. It's going you know, to loiter near the bottom for a long time. And I think that some of these these states and cities are going to be hammered the same way, hopefully not as bad as Puerto Rico. So I, I think that as a real estate investor, as a stock investor, as an investor of any kind, you, you've got to understand that we are that, that America is separating. Some areas will do massively better than other areas over the next twenty years. I see a lot of growth in Texas. I mean Texas has incredible, incredible potential over the next 20 years to become another California I think Georgia has potential Florida has incredible potential and I think that people who are you know tied to must invest in your own backyard are going to suffer that is what the data seems to to show I
1: I agree I I totally totally agree Um, we're kind of running out of time I want to if you don't mind I've got still so much so many questions for you um, I'm going to start with, does your data recognize or take into account the, uh, comprehensive annual financial reports of municipalities, the CAFRs?
0: Um, not so much because, uh, I think that we don't drill down to that level. We don't, I don't think that we need to. So I look at five metrics. I look at population growth, job growth, income growth, home price growth, and crime reduction. I find that by the time I have looked at these five numbers for every metro in the U.S., those, you know, I already have the Rosetta Stone. I can keep adding more and more metrics in there, but I find that the data really doesn't change. You know, I can add another 50 metrics in there, and I still have the same damn conclusion. So I I look at these five big factors, once again, population growth, job growth, income growth, home price growth, crime reduction. By the time I look at those five, I can rank cities very effectively, and I can tell you things like St. George, Utah is probably a great buy. Detroit, Michigan, probably not. Not Right. So that's what the data seems to suggest to me. And I'm not tied to any particular city. I'm happy to invest in Detroit, Michigan, if the data suggests that that's the right place to go uh, and invest in. So I think those five metrics seem to deliver enough returns. What's nice is that what you're talking about, those reports are actually very difficult to pour through because they're very comprehensive and big reports. Uh, I like investing systems that are simple, straightforward, and the data is free. And they work 95% of the time. Remaining 5%, well, that's the risk that you're taking investing in real estate. So hopefully, you know, you're in the 95 and not in the 5 and so those metrics that I mentioned to you, I have a course, and you know we, we won't have enough time to go through the metrics and what they should be and where do you find them. But I created a course, and it's at udemy.com, U-D-E-M-Y.com slash real focus, one word, R-E-A-L focus. If you go to udemy.com slash real focus, I, I teach you a 100-minute course. There's no sales page. It's free. Nobody will upsell you or anything. It will basically take those five metrics and tell you, okay, how do I get these metrics? How do I apply them? And I promise you, it is as simple as I mentioned. 15 minutes for a city, 15 minutes for a neighborhood, you will be an expert. Just apply the number.
1: Fantastic. Um, Quickly, do you see a bubble building in the real estate market?
0: I see... To some extent, um, but um, in, in my mind, I, I don't see the same sort of situation as we saw in 2006. Number one, I think lending standards are pretty good. I, I, I look at uh, you know how hard it is to get single-family homes or multi-family homes, the lending standards are pretty tight. They're beginning to loosen a bit, but they're a far cry from what they were in 2006. I think that something has happened to our economy that most people have trouble understanding. Okay. Before 2008, the real estate industry was based on its own fundamentals. So, if it was too expensive, we'd have a real estate recession, not a US recession, not an economy recession, but a real estate recession. If the prices fell too much, then we would basically, you know, that they would start going back up again. So, a fundamentals based real estate industry. Since 2008, I believe, and now more and more people are beginning to believe, that real estate and stock prices are not based on fundamentals. They are based on what the Federal Reserve is doing. If the Federal Reserve continues to cut interest rates, the prices of real estate will continue to go up, even if real estate is too expensive, Mm. which it is. I believe it is. I believe it has been too expensive for a while. Affordability levels are down to a level where real estate should not be growing at the continuous pace that it is growing. Multifamily rents are very strong. They're, they've been very strong all the way to last month. And I'm looking at that and going, why should they be this strong, this late in the cycle? It, they should be slowing. They should be choppy. You know, Why Why is the growth only in one direction? I think the answer is that we now have one world economy where a home that you're buying in Wichita, Kansas, is affected by an interest rate cut in, in Tokyo, Japan, mm. because because that interest rate cut is forcing the United States to cut its interest rates. And when we cut interest rates, prices of all risk assets increase. This is complicated stuff. But you really have to understand it if, you, if you're if you wondering, why the heck does real estate do only keep going up? Even stocks, I mean, they go up and down, but in general, they only go up.
2: Mm-hmm. If
0: you look at the last seven or eight years, And it's like, can they go up further? And my answer is yes, they can. Why? <clears throat> because, as of yesterday, we had $15 trillion, that's not million or billion, that's trillion with a T, $15 trillion worth of bonds worldwide that were negative yield. What does that mean? Well, if I live in Denmark, I get a 30-year mortgage and I pay a million dollars, at the end of 30 years, I get paid back. It's, my interest rate is negative 0.5. You know what that means? I'm actually getting paid to take out a mortgage. Isn't that absurd, Teresa?
1: How is that sustainable?
0: True? I I don't know how it's sustainable, but until we figure out our problems with interest rates worldwide, it is already happening. And when you compare, imagine that that banker in Denmark that basically has to lose money to to make, you know, give you a 30 year mortgage. Imagine what that fund manager is thinking. He's thinking I need to go and invest this money in something that still makes money today. Mm-hmm. And that's US real estate. So we continue to see massive capital inflows from all these countries that are at negative interest rates. We are not, you know, we, we actually pay positive um, uh, rates on our 10 on our year bonds. But countries like, you know, pretty pra- practically all of Europe, practically all of Japan are negative interest rate economies. So their poor economies are affecting our good economy. In a way that it's very difficult for real estate and stocks to go down, because they consider our gain, our, our our returns to be very lucrative, because their returns are at zero.
1: So what happens so, in terms of if if our real estate is overpriced, right? Based on what's going on, not only on a local level, not only with the Feds, our interest rates, you know, fed the, the Fed recently said they're lowering the interest rates again. But the global market, right, and we know California, right. uh, all over the U.S., really, there are so many international buyers, right? I'm from Florida. Yep. I can tell you, you know, Miami, oh, my gosh, right? There's... You know, the, the bus stops have pictures of realtors that speak 10 languages and I am not kidding, right? It is crazy how international some of our cities have become in terms of the money coming into these cities. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in a couple of years is, is the bottom going to fall out? If you've got money to invest in real estate, do you wait? What do you do?
0: But that really depends on how patient you are. My answer is, if you're very patient, yes. Uh, Something odd will happen. We have a Goldilocks economy. Everything seems to go right. Unemployment only seems to go down. Interest rates are still ridiculously low. Um, We, um, you know, it just seems like everything just has gone right for a number of years. And and, you know, my study of, of the past indicates that Goldilocks zones don't last very long. Something goes wrong, either in the U.S. or outside the U.S. I, I tell people I believe the next recession will not be based on what we do. We caused the 2008 recession with our real estate bubble, but and it was a worldwide recession. I think the next recession comes because Japan or Italy, one of those markets, something bad happens there, and then it's a contagion that spreads worldwide, right. causing a recession in the U.S. Domino. and but it'll still affect us. It's a domino effect now because the world economy is so completely linked together since 2008, and they, the central banks have linked the economy together. So yes, I think that if you're very patient, wait. But be aware that you might be waiting much longer than you think. Right. Mm. So I use Japan as an example. Japan's a perfect example of things going wrong. In 19- Japan's economy is. Basically, on an inflation-adjusted basis, a quarter of what it was 30 years ago. A quarter, right? But during that time, there was no catastrophic crash in Japan. It's just the economy didn't grow. And even today, you, know, you can borrow money at, at zero in Japan. Bottom line, this pretend and extend thing that our central bankers are doing, it can take a very long time to break. So I am not that patient. I believe that there's opportunity in real estate. And I am prepared for what happens when the next recession comes. When the next recession comes, we get a one quarter of negative GDP growth. I'm going to stop distributing cash to my investors. I'm going to build a war chest because if it develops into a recession, that war chest will help out in case my delinquency levels go up. And if you know the, the following quarter is positive growth, I will return that money to my investors. So if you have the right mindset that a recession is a time that you have to fight through, it is a great time to buy real estate. Because guess what will happen when the next recession happens? We will cut interest rates even further. We you th- think that you can cut interest rates in the in, you know, further? We have the highest interest rates in the developed world right now. We give people 2% on 10-year treasury bonds where everybody else gives people zero. So, of course, we can cut interest rates. When we cut interest rates, guess what's going to happen to real estate prices? They will go up. They won't go up until the end of the recession. But once the recession ends, they'll go up further. We'll blow an even bigger asset bubble. And that's why I I hold real estate. But I have my eyes open about that recession. When it comes, it's going to be tough for us. We're going to to have to ride it out. And if we are forward thinking about that, we'll be able to make it through that recession. And on the other side of that recession, I believe there are even higher real estate prices and even higher stock prices.
1: Neil, you've been a fantastic guest today on Living Wealthy Radio. Share where our listeners can get more information: uh, Udemy, your course, u uh, d a u d e m y dot com slash
0: real real focus. focus.
1: Yeah.
0: And but the best way to connect with us is is something else. So you know the word multifamily. If you add a U at the end of it, the letter U, multifamilyu.com, stands for Multifamily University, we have over 50 webinars and seminars about different trends in real estate. Student housing, senior housing, multifamily, single family, best cities to invest in, best cities to stay away from. All of these webinars by dozens and dozens of very smart people are completely free that is the best place to engage with us and learn more about real estate nobody on this site is going to try and sell you anything it's it's just a compilation of the data and analytics that we provide you can very easily connect with me personally through the website as well so my i i'm uh, i'm very accessible to people and my you know you can just send me an email at n e a l at multifamilyu.com so that's the best way to connect with us
1: And we'll have your links on livingwealthyradio.com underneath the podcast. Again, thank you so much for joining us today, Neil. Fantastic information. My best to you. And excited to have you back on the show sometime soon.
0: I'd love to to come back onto the show. Thanks for having me on, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Neil. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom?